Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Business Insider Secrets. Thank you very much for joining me. I'm pretty excited to have a very long-term friend on with me this evening. Uh, it's going to be a great opportunity to ask and dive deep into some of his work history. I can see him looking at me right now, and I can't decide if he's, he wants to laugh or uh, it looks like, in fact, he's trying to hold a laugh back. So let's introduce him without any more of a uh, deal. So this is why I affectionately call Polly. So welcome to Polly, but also known as Steve Perkins. Hi, Steve. Hi. Do you want me to explain why Polly? For the sake well, of the I, I think that would be a really good starting point. Why, why do I call you Polly and everyone else knows you as Steve? So I've probably known you 30 years and you probably still don't know why I'm called Polly. I think I know why you're called Polly, but go on. So it came from junior school. Apparently, I've never heard the song, but apparently there's a song called Pretty Polly Perkins from Paddington Green. And the name got attributed to me. Someone had coined this phrase and coined this song and mud stuck. So throughout my life, yeah. I've been, I mean, I knew it was Polly Perkins. I knew, that's Polly, that, I knew there yeah, was something Polly, to do with it. Polly Perkins with Paddington Green. So, yeah, I've been labelled with that for life. And I don't think it'll ever go, but hey. Well, it won't go with us. I think new people know you won't, it won't stick because they don't think they get it, do they? No, they just either think either they were in the background think, why is he called Polly and think it's strange, or you actually tell them why. So, Or they, or they just think that's your name. Or they think that's my name, yeah. And that's, there's, <laughs> there's some people I've done... See yeah, there's some people I've done seasons with that I don't actually know their real names. There was one guy that we worked with on one season in Menorca, and we used to call him Posh. And he, he went to Eton, and he was the most incredibly posh person you have ever met in all your life. I could not tell you what his name was. I, I honestly don't have a clue. His name was Posh. That was all we named him by. Still? Uh, still to date? Still don't know his name? No, I haven't got a clue. I've got a clue. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to find him on Facebook at one point, but couldn't find him on Facebook because... I tried searching posh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, okay, well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so Steve, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I know this is going to be hugely valuable for all those that have uh, joined us because, you know, obviously we, we don't typically talk about the word COVID on this, but what we do talk about is people's business journey. And for those, all those people that are struggling right now on COVID, when we get to the end of this, this bit's going to be hugely inspiring for all of you that are listening. But we're going to back right up to that. So, so you mentioned, Steve, Polly, that we've uh, known each other for 30 years. So just can you remember, you know, I know you remember where we start, where we met. Give everyone a bit of a background on that. So where do we meet? So it's probably 10 years old. Um, and You're slightly older than me, so I might have been nine. Just throw it Mine, right, you might be nine. Uh, Hearts Young Mariners Base or Hearts uh, Young Mariners Adventure Club. Uh, I was thrust into that. So where we were in the borders of London, um, in Hertfordshire, normal things that kids would do and found the club that gave adventure opportunity to kids to do everything from dragon boat racing, sailing, kayaking, mountain biking, all run by volunteers that really showed us a different way of life that instead of just playing computer games and things, you got thrust straight into a community of people that were similar age that very quickly became a lifetime group of friends all with that vested interest in the amazing opportunity that people gave us. And the big thing I remember about that from what, 10 to 18 years old is the opportunities we were given. So it was all run by volunteers, all people, mums and dads that were giving up their own spare time to 
take us on incredible adventures all across the UK, doing something every weekend, doing Duke of Edinburgh, doing splash nights. Whether we were fixing boats, we were sailing, we were dragon boat racing, we were kayaking in Scotland, we were mountain biking in North Wales. There was always something going on, jumping in a minibus, going off somewhere on an adventure as a, a group of kids. So I suppose it was a bit Goonies-esque, but a real thrust into outdoor life and adventure. And I think that was character building in a massive way. I think that shaped my life in the sense of I had opportunities and we had opportunities that most kids don't have nowadays. Not only was, was it uh, a club of people that grew up together and did almost everything together. And the interesting part is we all went to different schools. Mm. But actually, the friendship group was always those group of people. Because as soon as you finished school, all we wanted to do was to get down to the base, the adventure club, to get out night. To be fixing mountain biking and that was just that was our passion that was our vested interest was those sports weren't interested in computer games weren't interested in hanging around the streets that was it and that was all created by these amazing volunteers and the people that had given up their time to do that and saw us through and the stuff that we achieved then national dragon boat champions kayaking champions kayak slalom so your career going on through sailing and water sports just it gave us a real grounding foundation um so probably I would say one of the best childhoods that you could have because it wasn't driven by how much money our parents had. It was driven by parents that didn't have a great deal of money, but were just interested in giving kids the maximum opportunity and fulfilling our life of having climbing trees and doing outdoor stuff, all the things that kids should be doing now. It was pretty epic, wasn't it? In amazing. Absolutely amazing. Right. And I wish, kind of wish for my son, if I still try and find, and it doesn't really exist, a multi-sports club like that where you know that they're going to grow up with a group of people that they want to spend all their time with that all have those great values and are all interested in amazing sports rather than dipping in and out of friendship groups of people that watch some play computer games and some just hang around the streets. Some might enjoy different experiences, scooting. Yeah, it's hard to find. So I think we were lucky. Very lucky. Yeah. Incredibly uh, fortunate to have all those opportunities. And it wasn't just one, was it? There were so many different sports, so many different leaders, so many different kids. Everyone was from almost different backgrounds and different skill sets. And I don't think you think of that when you're 10, 11, 12 years old, but actually when you look back, you think, ah, yeah, that one did that. And that one did that. And that was slightly different. And this one here and that like hugely, hugely grounding. And like you say, all run by volunteers, I would love to be able to get something set up like that. Like, just love to. There's just not the facilities to start with, but never say never, Paul. Never say never. No, yeah, never say never. No, it's money It's money driven as well, isn't it? Those that those facilities are there. Um, but it's, it's time as well, isn't it? Of all those people back there, technology wasn't what it is now. We didn't have the internet around. You didn't have computers like there were. So people had a lot more time. We had a lot more time. And it... The amazing thing for me is the lifetime bond yep. that creates amongst that friendship group. And look at everybody now. We still go, I was out kayaking Sunday. You'll be out kayaking. Still love mountain biking. We still love sailing. We still love all those sports. And we've got that enthusiasm and that motivation to try and get our kids to do it, whether they do or not. Is another it's another matter. <laughs> yeah. They like their own different sports. And of course, we all want them to be those kind of adventure outdoor people in their own groups. But yeah, really fortunate. And the lifetime bond, something that's always quite funny of that group of people by, by proxy and by virtue, 
we all ended up on the south coast of Southampton. So we all grew up in Cheshunt, Hertfordshire. One, Loz came down for university to Southampton. I came down for a job. Kevin, Moose, came down to work in IBM Winchester. We were training for canoe polo. Had a look up on the bank and went, that's Andy Hooper over there. I haven't seen him for five years. What's he doing here? All of a sudden, then you rocked up. You'd found a polo club. And hey, guys, there's the old gang <laughs> back together. And then found out that you've been living down the road and we had no idea. So it's really, you kind of hit that phrase that you grow up as kids, you have fun, you have your bunch, and then and then you're into your bikes until you hit 17. Then your car arrives and then you get girls and cars and you go off and you come away from the sports and then you get jobs and you go off in your different directions. But it always amazes me out. We've all ended up coming back together and all live within 25 miles of each other now. Yes. Bonkers. It's all by chance. Yeah. Yeah. So let, let's um, go back to that. Cause we, you, we said there that we all sort of grew up in Hertfordshire. So that's where we sort of grew up. So Steve, let's get into the, the business side of things here right now. So, you know, obviously you've, you didn't have a business when you first left college. So you left college, you know, the, the, the glad old of 18, a couple of years before me, I'd like to say. Uh, and <laughs> and basically, you then went off and did an apprenticeship. Is that right? Yeah. So I, my natural journey was, what do you do when you're 16 years old, right? You finish school, you get your GCSEs. Uh, you're, whether you're academic or not, I wasn't particularly academic. Um, I wasn't studious uh, and stuff because I was more interested in being out doing sports, being out on the water, adventure stuff. Uh, I didn't get great GCSEs. And then you get to that junction, what do you do when you're 16? Of How do you know what you're going to like and you enjoy it? It's such a tough decision. And I followed natural footsteps of my dad. He was an engineer. I was good in my hands. I always enjoyed fixing things. So your natural career path is, okay, well, it would make sense for me to go into engineering, something I already enjoy, um, because you don't see the career opportunities for anything that your hobbies, the sports, the outdoor stuff, so I went into engineering, enjoyed a company called Walker Sidley Power Transformers um, up in Walthamstow in London on an engineer apprenticeship. So I would spend uh, a week in college studying electrical, electronic, mechanical engineering, then do a day release back into the business uh, with the aim of them. They'd run the apprenticeship screen for, for many years, company's still going. Uh, to bring apprentices up to be multi-skilled to be the future of that business. So, yeah, studied in college, Walthamstow College, uh, over the engineering different facets, then finished college, and then went back into the industry, into the company, into Hawker City for full time. And when you're, it's always trick when you're an apprentice, you know you're always going to get the dregs of the jobs because you're the apprentice, you're right at the bottom of the ladder and you've got to learn and you've got to learn from some good people. And there's some good people there that will teach you the skills and really embrace that you are young. They were young once, they were apprentices once and they're there to teach you and help guide you and advise you because you're going to be the future in 20 years time. You're going to be in their shoes and moving the company forward and however that evolves. So that was 20 years time. That was the bit there in 20 years time, you'll be in their shoes. Did you see that as a career option? Yeah, it was, and it was. I'll come on to that because it was definitely a career option for me. Um, I said no <laughs> <laughs> because I looked at um, engineering and looked around and I was a bit more ambitious that, and it was good, but you could see your career path was pretty much mapped out for you because you could see it as very hierarchical. hierarchical. Um, hierarchical. 
a rifle. You could see the progression steps, so you could see where you your next step up the ladder. If you become a grade two, where you work, and then if you become a grade three, where you work, if you become a grade four, where you work, and you could see what the salaries were. So you could kind of look around a, a workforce of a thousand people and say, "I could see my journey mapped out here," uh, and I wanted more. Which some people like, don't they? Some people like that. Yeah, yeah. Some people like the structure. Um, it was quite restricted. Like, I enjoyed engineering, but it's very different to enjoying working with your hands to working in a, a factory culture. Yeah, it is engineering um, in quite a, an old fashioned industry yeah, that did evolve and it did develop. Um, and it was interesting. It was a great time, but there was a whole big world of business out there that fascinated me. And I couldn't stand the fact of, okay, I, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. I don't want my life to be mapped out. I don't want to just get these stepping stones of career. I want to find out a bit more of what's out there. Um, so I took the decision, yep, to to quit that. Had a great time, learned loads. Thank you very much. They supported me for an apprenticeship and I've given back to the business. So it was time for a change. Okay. So, so, but you got a huge, so it was interesting that you did, you weren't sure where to go. But you thought, well, okay, I, I know what my, yeah, my dad's done. I'll go and do an apprenticeship. And you got a skill out of it at the end of the day. Is that fair to say? Yeah, 100%. And anybody who does an apprenticeship now is vocational skills. When you're 16, you're 17, a lot of them don't really make sense. You're taught a lot of stuff that you can't apply until you're further down <clears throat> that journey into engineering. So, for example, a big part of the course was uh, electrical installations. So I learned how to wire a house up. Uh, within the business. I didn't own a house. Um, at that time, I didn't want to own a house and I had no interest in rewiring a house. <laughs> but you were interested in rewiring your uh, Nova 1.3 SR with a car. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. And obviously I've, I've got a few, <laughs> a few cable clips out the company. <laughs> a couple of extra bonus bits. But yeah, I didn't, but that skill is trained in you and you never know. And then when it came to owning the first house, I had to do some electrical wiring. All of a sudden, it's clicked. So I don't need to pay someone to do that. I can do it myself. This was going back years. Obviously, I didn't have the safety secrets, but I know how to do this. I know how to yep. rewire plug sockets. I know how to put ring mains in, etc. And you forget where that skill came from. And there's so many kids out there that don't have those skills, be able to do things like those DIY and plumbing and those basic skills. And my dad always taught me a lot. Um, and I always be determined to teach my son as well, Samuel, the same thing. So that he has those basic skills, how to fix a puncture on a bike, how to, how to put a plug socket on. So in, in the absence of not knowing what to do, do an apprenticeship and get a skill. Is that fair? Yeah, I would say ma massively get a skill because it's just, it, it's going to get you an entry point into learning real time skill outside of school, which is a simulation of what you edu you're educated in. Whereas when you go into industry, you can see the application of what you're learning. So at Hawker Sydney, we were building power transformers so that these things are like five times the size of a house and they, they power and support the national grid. Did I have an interest in the national grid? Probably not. Uh, so it was just a job and it was a focus, but the skills that I'd gained from that really helped me in the future. Had I wanted to come out and be a self-employed electrician, I could have done, I was qualified for that. Um, and I wanted to be an electrical engineer, I could have done, I was qualified for that. And I could have taken those career paths and those journeys. So yeah. it gears you up with some direction and some skills and the ability to be able to do it. So it's not a, it's not an exam. We used to see people coming from universities that had degrees in engineering, but couldn't use a spanner for the life of them. So because it was vocational, it's anything against degrees because uh, 
they are of education, but it was a it was very hands on training and skills that are still used today. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we then so you then did an apprenticeship, and I, I mean I, I know where you went next. So so you you finished your apprenticeship, you've done some work experience, and then what did you do? So then I had a phone call from our friend Lawrence, um, who'd gone to be an outdoor pursuits instructor imbued in Cornwall. Um, and I had a bit of an epiphany on that. Um, so I was on the, the shop floor, the factory floor, in my steel toe cap boots, uh, clocked in at half past seven, waiting for the buzzer at 11 o'clock when I could eat my sandwich and then back to work with 15 minute break and then 12.30 and then I got a phone call from him at lunchtime. How you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm all right. What have you been doing today? He's like, oh, it's amazing. Just teaching surfing all day on Summerlee's Beach in Cortland, down in Butte in Cornwall. <laughs> so it didn't take you long to end your noticing, did it? No, it didn't. Uh, so, uh, and, and I wanted a piece of that, because hey, it was something we loved. We loved the outdoors. And actually, all of a sudden, there was an opening. There was a door that said, hey, you can go and get paid for something that you love doing anyway and teach other people to do this cool stuff and give kids opportunities. So yeah, it was probably a week later, um, I'd applied for the job as an outdoor pursuits instructor. I had my notice in and I was off down to Cornwall. Nice, nice. And how many seasons did you do there? So two, three, three seasons. So we did transitional seasons. So we transitioned between Bude and Cornwall and then across to Spain, over in Spain, water sports on the beach at Cala Lovado, um, War Sports Centre there, which was, uh, that was a very different style over there. Very good, great experience working overseas. And then in between those, so I would do a summer season uh, in Bunin Cornwall in Spain. And then the winter season, I would work in corporate events as an instructor uh, with companies who were going out doing clay pigeon shooting, um, quad biking, scavenger hunts treasure hunts so we would instruct in that and then um we would come back for our summer season back to get the shorts out back to Bude. nice nice so so those seasons because quite often you know i spent you know, like you a fair amount of time overseas or or teaching people you know fundamental skills so you know, bear in mind that in mind what skills have you taken from that that you use now do you think? What are the key things you took away? So I think the, the biggest thing that I took away from that was confidence and character building. Uh, from going from engineering, which is quite an insular role, you're working on your own. Yep. Quite often, um, you can be working as part of a team, but the majority of the time it is you are on your own, you've got your job to do, you crack on with that job and the, that job might be the same the next day, the day after, the day after. Um, or it might vary slightly. And then you're thrust into a, a very forward-facing industry with kids of the sense of your first day might look like we're up at seven o'clock in the morning, stand on that mound, we've got 400 kids and we've got to do a warm-up and get 400 kids excited about being out of bed at seven o'clock in the morning and then get them even more excited about the fact that they're all going to run down to the beach and do four laps of a sea pool. <laughs> Considering it's April. <laughs> yeah, it's a table. And hey, you're the first person to stand up on that mound and do that in front of 400 kids. <laughs> yeah. A complete shift to, okay, it's fight or flight, guys. So it's a real, it's a real challenge to gear yourself up. So I've never done this before. I've never presented or talked in front of big groups. 
especially kids, this is a challenge, but hey, what a great challenge because I'm one of 50 different instructors that have been doing this for a while and they're all in the same boat and what a beautiful place to be doing it in. So the character building that, that gave and communication skills that that gives you on so many different levels because you're working with children of all ages of mixed abilities as well with the special needs and also with the teachers as well that you've got you've got different objectives and different um, outcomes from that and expectations of the kids arrive in Cornwall they're 12 years old they're with all their mates they're in a room with 10 of their mates they've got a tuck shop <laughs> and they're in a very cool place you know they want to have a good laugh they're going to sneak around they're going to probably try and buy some cigarettes and have a smoke in the toilet and uh but what but they're away from we're condoning that by the way no, I don't can not at all. No, no, no. no. <laughs> outside smoking outside. <laughs> um, so you had that, I suppose you've got that different level of, you've got to communicate it with the kids at a certain level, different kids from different cultures, different backgrounds. Some kids are coming from wealthy areas. Some people are coming from inner city London that have never seen a beach before of being that chameleon to be able to get the most out of those kids and also understand what their needs and requirements are and how you can really give them a, a fulfilling week that they come away thinking, wow, that was amazing. And I already had always, because of the stuff that we had as kids, I had so much passion and a vested interest for every single kid that we instructed to think, I'm going to give you the best possible experience that you can have because you don't normally do this stuff. These kids haven't seen kayaks before. They haven't been surfing before. They haven't lowered themselves off a 180 meter abseil cliff before. And that's, sorry, Paul, that, I mean, that, that's really tough when they are freezing cold away from home. They are scared. This, you know, all of those things wrapped up are really hard to empower, motivate, inspire, or lead these kids from all these backgrounds, right? Yeah, massively. Yeah. And they were like, our center was a big, it was a big center. Um, it could take 400 kids at a ginormous outdoor area Had high ropes courses had football pitches, volleyball pitches, uh, outdoor swimming pool, but it was gated in. So the kids couldn't get out. The only time they could go out is on a set night in the evening where you would take them out and about around Cornwall. So they, when they first got there, they, they felt trapped that they didn't have the sense of freedom because they couldn't just go out to the shops and get what they wanted. Yep. And they would moan about it and, getting up at seven o'clock in the morning and going for a swim and it is freezing cold and then they've got the breakfast and then they're thrust into the activity. So you would see that, but you'd know and learn to help them overcome that of actually guys, think about this right now. Where would you rather be at school or at seven o'clock in the morning on a beach in a beautiful part of the country about to do a week's worth of amazing stuff that you've probably never done before. Yeah. And by, by the end of the week, you'd see such a transition of, they would go from moaning about, I'm trapped in, I can't get out the gate. What is this? I'm in Cornwall. And you'd get all the funny comments, like I'm surrounded by Cornish pasties everywhere, and uh, especially London-esque kids. To the end of the week, the kids used to buy you friendship bands and would literally, some of them be crying because they didn't want to leave because they'd had the time of their life. And the only reason they'd had the time of their life is because the facilities, the opportunity, and the people, not me, but the whole group of people, Yes, yeah, group effort. These kids are time in their life. Yeah, yeah, wicked. Okay, all right. So you, you've now done this sort of outdoor thing, right? So you've you've gone from that engineering thing. You're now working outdoor. And you've started doing some corporate event stuff during the winters. You know, you're inspiring these kids. 
and you're, you actually learn a lot from that. You're reading those different kids and you know, those skills. So you, after sort of three or you know, how many years that was back to back, at what point did you think right now, I think I probably need to do something different? Yes, I probably thought actually why it wasn't something different so much. It was about <clears throat> 21, 22 when I was going from summer season to winter season. And let's be honest, you know it as well. When you're, you're there, when we lived in Cornwall, uh, you lived with 50 of your friends. It, it was your life. You instructed um, outdoor sports and adventure all week. And then at your weekend, it was all live in. At your weekend, you'd go and do it all for yourself. So you'd head yeah. off climbing somewhere for the weekend. You'd be going off to um, surfing trips, kayaking trips. Um, that was your life. And you earn for the privilege 40 quid a week <laughs> if you're lucky <laughs> if you're lucky right and that's cash in your hand 40 quid so come friday saturday night by the time you put a bit of fuel in the car you bought a few beers you've had some food that's pretty much gone but you didn't really need money there because you were having your life wasn't about money your life was about your life and where you were and your money. lifestyle yeah it was a full lifestyle um, and the same actually for for them for the corporate events for a day's instructing for a corporate event you'd get 35 pounds but um, and I was there with our friend Loz as well. And the two of us had this same sentiment from when we grew up as kids that we wanted to give everybody the maximum amount of enjoyment from whatever we were doing. And that really shone through when we were instructing these corporate events we, for these clients and these companies. There, a lot of these people are sat behind desks and all of a sudden you're getting them out and they're going on high speed buggies, shooting guns, driving quad bikes, doing cool stuff. And you'd want to maximize that level as well, just because it's ingrained in you. Yep. That really we started to get a name for ourselves and people were asking for us on their events the people that were the sales team were going oh for my event i want these guys i want steve and Oz. i want them on my event because i know they're going to give me great feedback they're great instructors um and then you look so i did that a couple of seasons and i thought actually right at some point now i need to grow up um i don't want to be just doing summer season winter season summer season winter season and right don't get me wrong it's a great life and some people love that and i've still got people that uh, worked with when I was 21 that still continue to do summer seasons, ski season, summer season, ski season, and same age of us. And they love their life. Absolutely love it. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. I just wanted a bit different. And the business side used to fascinate me when you're going to these five-star hotels and you're seeing these companies having these massive conferences, you're like, well, this is a mega world. And I want to find out more about that. So I decided actually I don't want to do seasonal work anymore. I want to go full time and I want an entry point into business and I want to find out how this works. I don't care what I have to do uh, or what role I do. I just, this interests me. So there was probably in the business that we worked for on the corporate events up in Hertfordshire, there was probably a, a team of 120 people in clusters. So they would have a, a sales director that ran that team that would sell the events and then an operations team that would deliver the events. Um, and I wanted to make a name for myself. So I, after every event, I used to go back to every team and give them a feedback report to say, great experience. These were the these were the guys we dealt with. I had a chat with Joe, who's HR director, and she wants to do a few more future events. So here's her details. I said I would pass them on. And that progressed. And I used to go around every team, make a name for myself and say to those guys, hey, look, if there's ever a vacancy or an opportunity in your team to join you full time, let me know. And I had to continue doing that. And it took a while, like six months, because no jobs came around. And all of a sudden, there was an, op op was a, an opening, an opportunity for a business development executive right at the gritty grass level of cold call phone bashing off a database. 
came up. Was I interested? Hundred percent. I was. I was there. Forget the forget the seasonal stuff. So um, hold on a second, then. So you, I mean, there's, there's two things there. One, there's that. Right. I know I want to work here. I'm giving these people feedback. Like, yeah, I think that's that's crucial. You know, that that if you want something and you're hungry for it, then make a name for yourself and make it happen. Agreed. Yeah, and so you've got to be different. You've got to stand out for the crowd. I wasn't the only person that was interested in a full-time job, but everybody else would just wait for a full-time job to come up and then they would be interested in it and they would apply for it. I wanted an edge over everybody else. And I didn't tell them this. <clears throat> I just I used to push myself out to all of these more experienced guys that have got a huge amount of experience to say, hey, guys, I, I want to make myself an attractive proposition that – when there's an opportunity in your team and you want someone good, then I want that person to be me and I'm going to put myself above the parapet to do it. And that worked and it trickled in. A lot of people used to ask me to come. Can I come to sales meetings uh, with the clients? Because I was on the ground and I could talk about how an event would work better than the sales guys because I was running the events. Yep. So they used to bring me in. And I remember the first one was, okay, can you come to a client meeting? Yeah, of course. What do I need to wear? Never been to a client meeting before. <laughs> yeah. And I'm writing my shorts and t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. I'm not like I'm used to being outside instructing. So it was scrabble around in dad's wardrobe, get one of his best ties out, find out if there was a blazer that fitted me or get down to Mark Suspensers and get the suit out. And that was really the entry point that really kickstarted me into it. But so it, on that, just on that next bit, because I'm just trying to keep the flow going here on the business development. So first role is that business development cold calling. Yeah. Like right at the cold face. So had you ever done any cold calling before? No, I mean, I'd <clears throat> in the winter, I'd run some friends. That was pretty cold, but. <laughs> <laughs> but hold on. This is coming from someone who never picks his phone up. You can guarantee <laughs> that if you text Polly, you'll pretty much get an answer straight away. But if you text him and then he texts you back straight away, then you phone him straight away. You can guarantee he won't pick up the phone. Have you seen there's a there's a thing that goes around, you know, ring if you get guaranteed, ring this number, guaranteed not to pick up this phone, get 10 grand or something. Everyone's like, puts Polly's name, like ring Polly, ring Polly. Anyway, sorry, we yeah, died yeah, for a I'm, there, yeah. I'm not digging you out here, by the way. Um <laughs> uh, so um Loz and Moose would say exactly the same thing. Um, so this cold calling thing then, like tell me about that. Um do you not know what it is then? Have you not done it? <laughs> so, so what I specifically mean, you'd never <laughs> done me it. Explain. And what yeah. sort of training had you done, you knobber? <laughs> nah, none. So no training. And I, honestly, I didn't, I did a bit of training. Uh, and it was so literally back in, so there was no internet. Um, I think it was dial up was just coming in. Everything was done. Quotes were done by faxes. There was a database on a very primitive system. And it was literally phoning through business directories, trying to find a, a, somebody within a company um, that had a position where they might organize conferences, meetings, events, or any kind of team building activity, um, and then run through the database, find out who that person was, try and get through to that person, how to communicate with that person, ask some exploratory questions, what's coming up, what does their year ahead look for them, when do they start to plan meetings, where do they host those meetings, do they have internal support mechanisms, to have those meetings if they do how much time does that take up if there was an opportunity for someone who could relieve those time pressures who was an expert in conference meetings and events would that help their business so that's I suppose the training that you learn of how to approach cool cold cold calling and 
business development, but it, it, it literally was. And I'm glad it was because I wanted to learn right from the grassroots. I didn't want to be someone that just went in at whatever level and thought they knew it all. I wanted to understand how business works from the grass up. Nothing starts without a sale. And that was, there's a desk, there's a phone, there's a list of people, there's a list of telephone numbers, away you go with some basic training. And you learn from other people that are doing it. You learn the kind of questions that they're asking. But again, you've got to develop your own style and your own personality to be able to to do that. Um, And would I do it again? 100%. Would I recommend anybody does it? 100%. Because it gives you, from a sales perspective, a real understanding of the grassroots of of opportunities like that and sales don't get handed to you. You have to work for them. Very different age now, but uh, the people that are going to win the business are the people that do the best job and have the right styles and the techniques to be able to do it. Yeah, fantastic. All right. So, so you did the business development. So, how long did you do that cold calling part for? So, I did that for two years. Um, two years. That's quite a long time for cold calling, isn't it? Yeah, and it was. It it was. It was a long time, and that was. It was progressional because it started to move from the cold calling to start to generate your pipeline, and then you start to generate opportunities. And we were generating meetings for the sales directors to go to and attend. Um, and then I pushed it. I wanted to push it to say that I'm, I'm I could generate these meetings for you, and I'm interested in generating the meetings. But I want to start coming on some of these meetings. Yeah. I want to understand what you're talking about because I can add value here. Um, and a lot of back then it was quite sales was quite inch. You know, like, oh, I don't need you young guys. I can go and do this. I'm the sales director. So actually they start to pivot to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to come away from the sales pattern and bring someone along who's had experience in events because they can talk to you on a very honest level about what kind of event or experience would actually work for you. So again, it was pushing those boundaries of, I don't want to just be stuck behind the phone. I want to start to understand how this works, how you tick, how and why people are buying this stuff that I'm generating. I'm generating these meetings, but I don't understand the next process of this and how it goes from me sowing an acorn to the tree growing and that process for it. So that's how that really progressed on for that after two years. So it wasn't so much, it's probably a year phone bashing and then, moving on to the meetings that I would generate to then attend and then self-attend in those meetings because I could deal with it on my own and I wanted to. Okay, so you then, so you then done that bit. So what was the next step in that career? Where, where did you get to next? So yeah, same company. So the next step from that was a, it was a, a specific business development unit that was, uh, was set up for the company by a very, very experienced business development director that was dealing with, back then, uh, multi-level incentive campaigns. So these are, are for example, uh, we had a campaign for Orange Mobile Phones back then, before it was EE, um, and that was a, a worldwide campaign, similar to the, you know, the McDonald's campaigns, uh, the Monopoly campaign for McDonald's, where all the cups have got the little tear-offs and that, and you can win a Big Mac or you can win £100,000, similar principle to that worldwide campaign. Um, ours was UK-targeted, um, but probably about £2 million worth of contracts based on... Uh, sales for resellers, car phone warehouse, um, 
Jackson Mobiles, when there was hundreds of different reseller dealerships selling mobile phones, contracts, pay as you go. It was a huge level incentive campaign to drive sales for orange mobile phones. So we put multi-level campaigns in place all the way from down to on the shop floor. If uh, if Frank sold a boxed and ready contract, he got 10 points. Uh, those 10 points then accumulated over a month. The top dealership who sold the most box and ready would go on a first level incentive campaign. It might be a, an exclusive casino evening for that team. And that scaled up and progressed to all kinds of experiences. We had teams that went, the winning teams, the top dealerships of the months did things like rehoming endangered species of tigers where they would handle a baby tiger cub. They would uh, build and create a, an amazing enclosure for a tiger cub to be able to go in with uh, surrogate parents. This is a tiger cub that had been sired at birth. But the design for that was, like back then, is these people in these dealerships earn decent money. What kind of incentive, incentive is going to incentivize them to want to sell more? So you had the people on the shop floor, but then you had the dealer principals of how to incentivize the dealer principals to incentivize the people that are actually on the shop floor selling. So the, the top level tier then was the top dealership and the dealer principal of the year, five top dealerships and their partners went to Necker Island, Richard Branson's Necker Island, when he just bought it for two weeks. So it was a multi-level incentive campaign that Orange had rolled out across the UK to every single mobile phone reseller to say, every time you sell something, you're going to get something. You're not going to get a TV. You're not going to get some nice wine glasses for home. You're going to get something that's actually really quite attractive. And there was trips to Monte Carlo. There was Gucci watches. There was vouchers, all kinds of different incentives that drove the sales. That campaign, that first level campaign was a two million pound spend. Did it, the, think it worked? Sorry? Did it work? It's 12 million pound return. Yeah. 12 million pound return. <laughs> yeah. Wow. On mobile phones. When you say 12 million return, so it was 12 million on top of what they'd done the year before on that specific program. Yeah, on that, because of the way the incentive was driven, because it was campaigned and it was over a year, it wasn't just... Yeah, flashing the pan. You're hitting people. So I was, I was a project manager at that time. So I was managing all of the events and the experiences that these were going on to make sure they were top flight. And that creates momentum of when all the other dealerships see all the other things that the other people are doing, it's... I want a slice of that. Yeah, damn right. Uh, and that was that was across the board. So that was one campaign. There was another campaign we had for uh, a big trucking company that's insurance bill was over £5 million a year because people were driving their trucks. They didn't really care if they reversed into anything or scraped the side of things. Yep. They trucked it. And instead of actually using a stick to say, guys, we're going to deduct your wages every time you crash one of our trucks, we flipped it to say for every day that you drive one of the trucks and there's no damage, you're going to get 10 points. And then the different level, these are truck drivers. They wanted different styles of things that we're going to do. And they liked the big TVs, the materialistic things. But once they got X amount of points, if they did a month with no crash, they got a nice big TV in their house. And that yeah. probably, I think that shaved about 60, 65% off their insurance bill just by flipping the way that you're motivating people with a carrot rather than a stick. That, that message is really, really key, isn't it? That, that you know, you, we can all whack people and say, this is crap, this is, you know, you're doing a bad job. But actually that motivation and switching that message is so, so important. Um, I think that's a really, really key skill, actually. Um, yeah, and it's, it's targeted, isn't it? Horses for courses, different people want different things. Yep. Different things make different people tick. Some people like travel, holidays. Some people like 
big TVs, fast cars. Um, nowadays, we still touch on it in our business now that we, we've had an incentive where someone does particularly well. They have someone who comes in and completely landscapes their garden, puts a hot tub in all of the decking and transforms it over three days that gives them an average garden to something phenomenal. And some people love that style. Other people like trips across the world. So yeah, it's, yeah, targeted against their, their Okay, so, so you've done that. And then what are we going on to next? Uh, so where did I go there? So I was a project manager there. Um, and then I transitioned into uh, a senior project manager where I was managing the campaigns myself, the bigger campaigns and leading those campaigns um, on with a team around me. And I wanted that experience. I would say now is my preference, the planning or organizational side, no. Um, it's a, a forced skill and a forced behavior, but I wanted to do it because I needed to understand it at all levels. I wanted to be dealing with senior level clients that are spending big money on these big campaigns and want to see results. Yep. Um, and, and I wanted to be right in the hub of that to make that happen. So I did that. And then um, I wanted more sales experience. And I remember something that that really switched me off of that company is I was doing well and I was bringing business in from the service that we were providing to the clients. Um, and I did the, the HR meeting with the HR team and there was a new managing director in the company there. And I said, Hey guys, I'm doing well. I'm working on a basic salary, which isn't a lot of money. Um, what do I need to do to get a pay rise? I want to earn more money. Where's my next stepping stone. And the reaction was very quite cold of, well, there's no more money in the budget. Just carry on doing what you're doing. There's no pay rises available. Um, and I kind of instantly then thought, F you. Yep. <laughs> I want to go and earn more money. So um, you were bringing value into the business. That's the difference. Yeah, bringing value into the business. And I was ready for a next career step. And by no fault, the company that wasn't available, there might not be money available and there might not have been the next um, career step opportunity to be able to do that. So um, I knew I wanted more. Um, and I took the decision then to quit. Uh, without another job to go to, which is quite a risk, but I wanted to channel all of my efforts into getting the next job. Hold on a second before you go on, because this is the man that once told me you don't change your new car in before you've got the the old car in before you get the new one. You have a that's crossover with, period, don't you? That's to do with women. <laughs> oh, is that? Oh, I'm, sorry, I'm just getting a bit confused here. I thought it's the same thing, right? It's a crossover yeah, period. <laughs> it's a changeover. <laughs> I, was, I was I was living at home because so I could afford to. <laughs> oh, that's all right then. That's okay. As long as we've got that cleared up. There was no crossover period. All right, good. So you then focused on looking for a job, I guess. Yeah. So I went down then, um, and I wanted to be back. And what I really struggled with was being going from living in Cornwall and Spain and loving water sports to coming back inland and not having that opportunity to be back by the water. So yep. uh, again, our friend Loz, he was in university in Southampton. Probably every weekend I was down in Southampton. We bought a little water ski boat um, and we were out on the water doing the stuff that we love. And my week started to, to drag a bit in the sense of, I can't wait to be back by the water. I couldn't wait for Friday when I could jump in the car, I could get back down to the South Coast. Yep. And then Saturday morning, I'll be back out on the water. And then suddenly I thought, actually, that no, I want to live down here but I need to find a job first. So I went down to Chesant Library. <laughs> I got the yellow pages out. 
because they had all the locations. So I've got the yellow pages out for Southampton um, and all the areas around Southampton and photo. I didn't know that. So the, the, the library had the yellow pages for the whole country. Yeah, they'll have yellow pages, yeah, and all the local directories for all the areas, and you could get them down at the library. Um, so, yeah, I went down, scoured through those, photocopied every events company on the South Coast, all of the details, went home, uh, we did a computer then, wrote a letter, handwritten letter to every single events company, just outlining my experience, what I'd done in events, and were there any job opportunities that come up. Um, a few weeks, didn't hear anything, and then had a phone call. Oh, I had a letter. I don't know. I had a letter back from a small company on the South Coast who, when the internet was just coming around, that had the domain teambuilding.co.uk. Uh, we're a very small three-man band just doing very basic events. Um, and they saw an opportunity in the sense of here's someone that comes from a, um, a, a, an outskirts of London leading events company for team building to a very small company that could really capitalize on the experience of someone there. And at the same time, I could bring a lot to the table and I could see a lot of opportunity and growth from that company because they were entering a digital age with a very strong domain name that would make for a very good opportunity to be able to make something for myself. Yeah. Um, so I went down to see them um, and then they offered me the job. I did a PowerPoint presentation to them Nice top, and it was. They fell asleep, or they were right. No, I had a little kip, but I kind of I woke up at the end and uh, pretended it was good. <laughs> um, so I did that, gave a presentation, and they were. It was based in Limington. I remember when I first went down there, I had to go and get a birthday card, and I asked where Clinton Cards was, and they all looked at me really weird. And I thought, what? I, I, what? I've, I've got something on my head, and they're like, "What's Clinton Cards?" It's like you. you <laughs> they're like. Oh, do you want a birthday card? They're like, yeah, there's a little shop up on the corner. I went up to the little shop and there's a sign on the window that said, gone for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite a different world going from work where you don't really have a lunch break to a very different style and pace of life. So I did my presentation. Yeah, the next day they offered me a job. And that was my first real proper sales job. Uh, and it was very much, there's your laptop, there's your mobile phone, away you go. Go you sell something. Yeah, here's the inquiries. And they had inquiries that were coming in and try and convert some of those and make something of it. So it was a nice because you're going from being a, a small cog in a big business to all of a sudden you're a pivotal cog in a business that's got great opportunities and you're given that level of responsibility of you've talked the talk, now walk the walk. And which I love that challenge of, like at most, again, it's fight or flight of, oh shit, how am I going to do this? To, actually, I am going to do this. This is a small company. I'm the only person selling. My next and first objective was target. I know how much you want to learn on my commission plan. I want to build a sales function, a sales team. My first objective is to bring enough money into this business that I can walk in and say, give me my next salesperson. I want to start to build a team and a function here. Yeah, wicked. And then that's what you then started doing for the next few uh, businesses. Is that fair? Yeah, so 10 years there. So, uh, and we did build a sales team and turned over. So, that business turned over, I think, in its first year, £300,000, um, which was good for a small company like that. Yeah. But the digital age transformed and uh, websites started to become prevalent, and people were, were buying different styles of events. We got that business up by building that sales function, selling enough to bring in the next salesperson, to bring in a business development person. Again, organic growth, not 
it wasn't a business that could afford to just bring in a sales force and hope they were going to perform. It was yeah. organic growth of let's make enough money to justify and quantify the basic salary of a salesperson and target them with commission that they're going to pay for themselves and they're going to make money, enough money for us to bring the next salesperson in and also to fund the marketing to be able to attract new inquiries and new leads as well as business development going out and looking for that. Um, so over 10 years, we turned that business around to a two and a half million pounds uh, business, 25 staff um, leading the way on that, the internet. There's some pretty key skills in there. That that ability to be able to say, so you grow, instead of growing, well, we want 10, 10 salespeople today. It's like, right, get one person working, get them up to speed. And then when there's enough money in there paying for themselves, get another person, then get another one. Is that fair? Yeah, and I, I've always... Whether it's right or wrong, um, I've always adopted that approach and always managed businesses in that approach because I've seen the other side of it where companies have had some capex behind them and they have been able to afford to bring in a sales team and pay those salary whilst people are training, whilst they're building up their pipelines, whilst they're, they're starting to bring some revenue in and start to perform beyond them paying for themselves and their basic salary and earning their commission, that if you're doing that at a high volume and that sales team doesn't perform, you've then got a big dent in your cash flow because you've paid these guys to do this. They haven't bought in the revenue you're expecting. It might not be their fault. It might be marketing. It might be downfall in an industry, but you've got then a hole to fill. So how do you get out of that hole financially? You've got to sell yourself out of that hole. So how do you sell yourself out of that hole? Do you bring more salespeople in? Do you bring better salespeople in? You've got recruitment fees. You've got training. You've got the risk, again, of do those salespeople perform. And you, you really, you pull to dig yourself out of that could become even bigger if you don't get it right. And I think that's really key for, you know, for the majority of people that listen or will listen you know, it's pitched at people that are like you and I setting up business. There's no capital funding behind it. There's no private equity. It's a case I'm building this and I'm making this happen myself. So what you're saying is the best way of doing that is to say, bring one person in when they're maxed out and they can afford to fund the next person, bring the next person in and then, and then so on. And that's by far the most pivotal way of doing it. And the most, I won't say cost effective way of doing it, but the most risk averse way of doing it. Yeah, and there's a real right, there's a real balance now because back back then the internet wasn't rife like it was. You couldn't buy leads like you can buy leads now. You can buy leads through multiple sources. Whatever we do in business now, in one way or another, you are paying for your leads, whether it's paying for organic SEO, whether it's paying for PPC, whether it's paying for marketing, whether it's paying for seminars, one way or another, you've got a cost of attracting that inquiry into your business. So there's so you can you can pump a lot now into marketing to be able to attract those leads to be able to support a sales team. So it was very different, but at the same time as well, I'm a believer in you've got to live within the means of <clears throat> that balance of how much can you bring in from your marketing to be able to bring the leads into a sales team that are reactive, and also then your proactive sales team that are looking for business outside of those marketing channels, those digital marketing channels, your database and your reach of building relationships with customers, looking for new arenas for customers. Always found that balance there of rather than just investing huge amounts of cash into one or the other, there is a balance that you can do to get your marketing right, get your marketing channels and get your leads coming in to be able to feed that sales team and grow it 
organically and you see so many businesses that do it too fast and they don't get the balance right yeah apps or they have to re-strategize and change things and a lot of people right dot-com businesses can grow in weeks from nothing to huge multi-million pound businesses if you've got the right strategy behind it but again on the flip side for businesses like ours that we haven't got that hot to be able to do that yeah i've found that strategy works it might not be right for all companies but it's always worked for me yeah fair enough okay so uh, i reckon we've got about another 20 minutes so we need to just all of uh, hone in a little bit now because otherwise we're, ne we're never going to actually get to the end so um we, we we've done you did that for 10 years and then where did you go what company did you go to next so i went to another company another events company uh called Blue Hat. So what happened with it? I'll be honest. What happened with the company I was at is uh, the owner of the business was very. Oh, that was progressive. Is that that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, a good, good owner, nice guy. The business, but very impulsive, um, and didn't ever put anything away for a rainy day. So if we had a good month, he'd buy a Ferrari. Uh, we literally didn't buy a Ferrari, but a Range Rover would have arrived, and then new toys. And the business was funding that. Um, and then when a recession hit, the company just couldn't sustain itself and it collapsed and folded. Luckily, I got out just before that. Um, and it was a shame because it was 10 years of hard work to build something that had then collapsed through no fault of mine. Uh, and I always remember when I got my first mortgage of uh, the Nationwide said to me, there's two types of people. There's someone that will sleep with 25 grand's worth of debt. There's someone that won't sleep unless they've got 25 grand in the bank. I'm the latter of those. And unfortunately, the person that owned the business wasn't, and it was very living hand to mouth. Yeah, couldn't survive. So luckily, I jumped straight uh, after that for a new job uh, in another events company that wanted me to do something similar. So they wanted someone to come in that could build and develop and grow their sales team and their marketing function because they were doing okay, but they could see a lot more opportunity in the industry and wanted to grow and didn't know how to do it and wanted someone to come in and take control of that. Uh, so that was a company based in Slough in London uh, called Blue Hat. We did a very similar project for them over two and a half years, um, quadrupled the size of the business, built the sales team, built the marketing function, uh, and got them to a decent size and a decent trading level. Um, and then uh, transitioned to, again, do a very similar thing for a company called Chili Sauce in London. Uh, they were an extremely successful and still are successful company that specialized in stag and hen events uh they've probably got a sales force of 80 90 people just selling for a very very strong powerful digital ability and digital team that have optimized their brand their keywords their message uh, all across the uk and europe and that started from really they started from the ground up of hey guys there's a market to be made there's a lot of people doing stag and hen do's that can't be bothered to piece it all together why don't we do that bit for them and just sell it to them at 99 quid a head, go to the people that are delivering the whitewater rafting and the accommodation and the minibus that gets them there. Let's see if we can package it all up for 50 quid and then just sell it to them for 99 quid. All that makes sense. Into it and they grew a massive business from it. They were very, very strong digitally. Uh, so they could turn on the taps for stag and hen probably in a, in a good month on January after Christmas, they could probably convert two, three million quids worth of stag and hen events a huge ability and still do. Um, and they knew that they could turn the tap on for corporate events. They could plug some keywords in team building, team building activities, team building events, conferences, and generate leads and inquiries, but they had no idea how to deal with them. Um, so asked me to come in again to, to help that business to grow that corporate side 
that division of the company. Um, and that was an interesting project. I really enjoyed that because Stag and Hen and corporate events uh, are like oil and water. So the company had the reputation for Stag and Hen, but we had to try and transition that away from, hey, guys, we want to sell you a big multi-level conference with a, an amazing afternoon's worth of experience and fun and then a gala dinner and all kinds of a winter wonderland themed evening and hey we do stag and hen events yep completely different message so we had to rebrand the corporate side and the company were very good the the the, uh, the objective there from me and from them was you do your stag and hen stuff let me do the corporate there's no crossover these these things don't mix it's the wrong message out there um for the marketplace uh, and we and again, did. that's a so that's another really good point, actually. You know, when you're looking at you know, growing the business and diversifying, you need to think about how the the complement each other or they don't complement each other. I mean, they, they, you're still running events, right? You're running events whether it's stag and hen or whether it's corporate. I appreciate they're slightly different, but the process is very similar. You know, so actually, you you do it, but the brands don't align. You know, they don't want to know they're going on a stag do type activity fair yeah, yeah absolutely fair separate. <clears throat> it's like <clears throat> it's like iceland's trying to sell premium level food it's it's not their marketplace they could do it and they'd be bloody good at it because they've got the infrastructure to be able to move and sell high volumes of food to a targeted audience they choose and they know their targeted audience and they're they're not marks and spencer's waitro quality food see this is where we differ I was, you said Iceland. I'm thinking, what's wrong with the food in Iceland? I'm going to Iceland in January. I didn't realize you meant Iceland, the food shop. Iceland, the food shop. <laughs> you wait till you find out how expensive it is. <laughs> out there, yeah, Iceland, Iceland, the food shop. But it's the, mar it's the marketplace, isn't it? And if they did try and... <clears throat> if they did try and go into the premium food market, they would have to create a sub-brand for that. Yep. The association just wouldn't work. It would be a tough gig, so... Yeah, that was our first challenge. Um, and they gave me a whopping great big target for the first year uh, and to build and grow a sales team. Um, and again, you have to embrace that and fight or flight, you can either sink and go, God, that's big. That's not achievable. How am I going to do this? To actually, it is big. And there's enough money out there and enough business out there to be able to win it if we're the best. And we've got to be the best very quickly. And we've got to get the message right very quickly and we've got to work hard and grow a sales team that can be able to convert the business that's coming in um and we did it yeah we went uh fivefold in the first year on the revenue coming into the business for that department um so we went from a team of three to a team of 25 uh very stable function performing oh you just cut out there paul you still there <laughs> yeah it was, it was a very it was then team um <clears throat> very high performing and then i kind of talked myself out of that in the sense of um it was a very the stag and hen side of it is very much you can sell over the phone corporate events isn't you've got to build the relationships with people and get the confidence out there so it's a very outbound face to face and that made the business a little nervous that the the directors just come in go oh, where's the sales team like they're all out on meetings what are they bringing business in? I'm not, I feel really uncomfortable here. So just trust me, it's not going to convert today, but it will. And it did convert. Yeah. So we did that. And then it got to a point where there was, there was enough business to come in that uh, we had a chat with the board and they said, right, we need you in 
five days a week now because there's so many people there. It needs full-time managing. You being out and the sales team out needs more function. And they were right. I was commuting from Southampton to London every day. So it was, it was a fair gig on the compute. Didn't mind that. Um, and it, again, it was an epiphany to say, well, actually, you don't need me now. My bit's done. I've built this. I've grown this. You don't need me five days a week in here. You need a team leader that can continue what we've built and we've created and to manage these people and continue the momentum of the sales team and all of the account management and all the procedures that are in place, looking at servicing the inquiries, the process for serving those inquiries, that's all there now and it's working. You just need someone that can carry on making that tick because the function's there and it's making you money. My bit's done. And their reaction was kind of, that means you won't have a job. And as, well, actually, yeah, you're right. I won't. But it felt <laughs> like, and it was the right thing to do. Yeah, um, I think that. But there's a lot. There's a lot to be said for that from the whole honesty point of view. Of like, clearly, you still needed a job. You know, you still wanted to do some work because you still needed some income. But you essentially talked yourself out of a job, and that honesty to be able to say, "Yeah, I don't think there's a job for me anymore because I've solved it." Yeah, it was a problem solved and it was it, it was the right time. I didn't want to do the commute anymore. I wanted more family time, wanted more quality of life. Um, and again, the progression for me wasn't there. I'd done yeah. my bit, I'd served the purpose, I'd, I'd completed the project as such, um, and they were there. So yeah, and that was um, in London um, to then... Uh, go and work for one of Bear Grylls companies and asked me to come on board uh, as a consultant to do something very similar for them where he, he wanted to create a business off the back of the brand, the Bear Grylls brands to, to create experiences for companies um, to learn amazing survival skills and get their bums off from behind their desk into the great outdoors doing some amazing things. So uh, I was always a big advocate of Bear Grylls. And again, from our background of kids, I kind of saw that of you go right back to your grassroots. What an opportunity here to work for a very cool brand, uh, a very big brand of a very well-known celebrity to we're not getting kids out in the outdoors. We're getting adults out in the outdoors in a very cool way. Um, so it's did uh, probably a year and a half, two years worth of consultancy for Bear Grylls at the same time as a uh, complete sideways transition into 3D printing and hydrographics. I can't really remember how I fell into that. Um, well, I, well, considering we ended up in, a, we, we actually ended up in an office together here. So that, that was because we, uh, we, we sort of verged together, didn't we, at this point? So that was interesting because you ended up doing hydro, you just have to explain what hydrographic dipping is. Yeah. So I, I've got a Volkswagen camper van uh, that I love. It's my baby's a project, a newer one. Um, and I always love tinkering with cars. And I, I'd seen this process on wheeler dealers where you could get a piece of your car, the bumper, and what made it look very easy, you spray a chemical on a piece of water with a certain film on, you dip this car part in, come out, and it looks like shiny carbon. And I was fascinated by that. It was like, wow, that's amazing. I, I want my front bumper to look like that. And the way they looked at it on the TV, it looked so easy to be able to do it. So I did some research, find out where's the companies that do this kind of stuff, hydrographics, the dipping. We couldn't find anywhere on the South Coast to do it. So just did a little bit of research on Facebook forums on 
par forums, spoke to people. How many people have ever had this done? Yeah, how many people would have it done if there was someone localized that could do it? So there was only a few people really doing that. So I saw a gap in the market and thought, hey, I'm going to have a go at this because I can see there's a market and an opportunity and I'm going to find out how it's done, set it up and see if we can fill a gap and a niche in the market for doing that. Um, so this is your first real sort of um, journey into running your own business. Is that fair? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was mine. Uh, it was a leap of faith. It was my money that was going into it to buy the kit. Um, so we got all the kit. I did it again primitive. You know, we had a small office and, and we partnered up. There's three of us in an office, all really in startup phases. So we had Will, we'd started up doing 3D printing. I'd started doing hydrographics. You were doing all your, your Lime Sports and the photography. Uh, so shared the office space. And yeah, it was a learning curve to buy all the kit and then to start to understand the business flow. And the thing that happened is, uh, I suppose by the skills I'd learned is I found it extremely easy to attract the business and win the business. So I had customers very quickly uh, to do it. But naturally I started doing it myself, doing the actual dipping. And then I didn't have enough time to sell everything, create all the marketing and everything and the website that started to perform very quickly to then balance that, to be able to do the actual dipping of the parts. And then I suppose what try and transpired from that is when you work out the margins of all the materials and how much time it takes, the return that you get on that is quite minimal. So you could have a, you could build and people have got a small uh, boutique comfortable style business that can tick along. Uh, and I didn't want that only bigger than that. So we sold all the kit, but it was a journey. It was an adventure and it was a learning curve and I loved every minute of it. Uh, and I loved building, but what I actually loved and it really pushed back is I loved building the business, growing the business, building the marketing, building the website, attracting the leads, converting those leads, selling it. That was the part I loved. I didn't love dipping parts into a great big tank full of water and all the chemicals and the spray and stuff. But it was a, it was a means to an end. And it was it was and the hard part there is finding the skill to be able to get somebody else to do it, because yeah. that was the difficulty, wasn't it? Like, OK, you can you do something once, get paid forever. But there's an actual skill involved in that rather than just someone dipping something in a piece of water. There's a skill to it. Yeah, there is a skill to it. Yeah. And, you know, we tried to find people that could do it, um, that had the skill to do it. And if we did that, it'd probably be a viable business. It wouldn't make a huge amount of money, but um, I could certainly generate the leads and then get someone else to do the actual physical work. And there's the foundation of a nice little company. Um, but those people just weren't available. So, ended up is we sold all the kit um but still generating and pumping leads and that business still does um and i just feed that into other companies because i haven't got time to do anything and they just pay me a commission off those leads yeah which is much better oh much better yeah yeah perfect return yeah so when we were in that office i seem to remember the next phase so where we are to now um so how do we get to where we are now from there so where do we go from there? So um, whilst whilst we were building that, uh, the hydrographics, I was still dipping in and out. I still had people that came to me and asked me if I could help support some of their business with events. I was still doing the consultancy bits for Bear Grylls just to bring some income in whilst building up a business. Um, and then uh, an events company on the South Coast, somebody I've known for years, asked me to go and help them. Uh, doing a similar thing again, how can you help us grow this business? We're, we're an events organization, slightly different. 
Um, we're very good at what we do, but the business isn't going everywhere. We, we've got a great summer and then we have uh, a small winter because events don't happen in the winter so much. So we make all our money in our summer, we lose all our money in the winter. How can we get around that? Um, so asked me to come in and do more consultancy to help build that business. Um, and this was quite a really interesting journey for this of the business was called Get Out of the Office. And it supplied events to the industry, to agency resellers that would build up the websites like Chili Sauce. They didn't want to own equipment. They didn't want the vans. They didn't want the warehouse and they didn't want all the stories. They just wanted to sell it, get someone else to deliver it and make their commission on it. Easy. So this business used to supply to the industry, made all right money, and it, it, but it didn't really have a brand. It didn't have reputation. It didn't have presence in the marketplace. It sat below the radar. Uh, and I convinced the owner to say that oh, you're making money for everybody else. We really, you need to change the strategy of this business. So we did say so it went through a full rebrand of get out the office to go to events very fast, brand new logo, brand new proposition, brand new entry in the marketplace and a very, very aggressive one year strategy to get this business right out above the radar, better than everybody else, faster than everybody else. Um, and we did it. It was fast. It was furious. It was hard work, uh, but we quadrupled the size of the business and made it very stable in uh, a year. So in 12 months and first 12 months of that, um, again, built its sales team, built its marketing function, rebuilt all of the digital. Image. So with that piece though, that, that year, you know, hard graft, you know, I mean, obviously that's what you enjoy anyway. Right. But in that year, if you was to pin it down to two things and you would say, look, Yes, we had an aggressive strategy. Yes, we had this. Yes, we had that. What would be the two things you'd pin it down on? Obviously, a great sales leader, obviously, excluding you, Paul. What were what the two things you put it down to? I'd say that the two things I'd put it down to is communication and face-to-face -face sales. Okay, but when you say communication, that's pretty broad. Yeah, so, right, so, so, so yeah. That. So communication of the message of what the company's about. Um, and I read a book, um, Everything Start, I think it's called Everything Starts With Why. Yep. Uh, and that was about some, some core messages about Apple where they take the example of Apple and Steve Jobs and what his skill was within Apple. And his skill actually wasn't coming up with the amazing ideas. His skill was actually conveying the message to the marketplace that, People don't want an iPhone nowadays because it's an amazing phone. Its functionality is, is top end because it's not. An iPhone isn't a higher performance mobile phone. Samsung's are far better. Huawei's are far better. Sony's are far better. People want an iPhone because the status symbol that it has and the way that that phone communicates with everybody else that has iPhones of you must be seen with one and you want to be one because you want to be in all the WhatsApp and all the groups and everything that iPhones do. iPhones talk to iPhones like iPhones do yep. to be part of that. Um, so that was a real brand message of we go to events and this is what the company stands for. And the communication, where the communication comes that is putting it out to market of you know, we could build a website, you could put the SEO behind it, but there's a whole world of people out there, customers, resellers, venues, agencies that need to know who we are. So that communication was face-to-face. -face. Hey, guys, I'm going to show you something different about events. This is what events used to look like, and this is the old-fashioned style. It was team-building specific. 
this is the old fashioned style of team building. If you say to a group of 50 people, we're off to do a team building event, they don't all start jumping up in the air and doing high fives. 5% of them probably think I'm being, this is cool. 95% think, oh my God, what have I got to do? Have I got to stand up and talk about myself? Am I going to get wet? Have I got to dress up? I'm going to look like an idiot. It generates a lot of fear. And that's our prime communication message to say, companies out there will continue doing and do do, and this industry will grow even more. They want to do experiences that develop teams and develop people within their organization. Team building is what it's called because there's not much else to call it. And that's what the core phrase was. So the communication was, hey, guys, look, here's something different. It's not old-fashioned team building. This is right on the mark of what people want to do, fun experiences where people can bond, they can build relationships, they can connect with each other, and they can build those skills that teams need all the way down to training workshops, learning and development, interaction, experiential learning. And it was the communication of that message out to people in the right style to say, this is fresh, this is who we are, and this is what we do. And we got that right. And that's what really accelerated the business because people wanted part of it. So I wanted that message to say, like, this is an iPhone, guys. This is cool. Everyone's got one of these. You need to have one. If you want full control of your communication in your life and your music and your text message and your WhatsApp and everything that's on there, super slick platform, iCloud, iTunes, everything. This this is this of the events industry. So you 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 then do those two things. So you put those, I mean, the communication the face-to-face, I love that. You know, it's really about rebranding that message and then taking that face-to-face message and then just hitting it with as many people as you can in every single part of the country, I guess. Well, within yeah. reason, right? So you do those two things. You have this massive growth over the year. You know, you quadruple, which is amazing in itself. So um, hats off. Oh, no, that was another company. Um but you know, you see where I'm going. You know, that was amazing. You so see, you, you smashed that. Um, you know, and then is that a couple of years ago? Where were we up to from there? Yeah, so it was two years ago. Um, and then uh, the business was in a very good position, uh, it was making good money, uh, it was sustainable. Uh, and then we had some bad news uh, for that business is the owner, the original owner, who was an incredible person, very, very creative, brought ideas to life like you wouldn't believe and was the was the back end face of the innovation behind the company. Um, not some person, but that's why she brought me in uh, to bring that business up to that commercial level. Um unfortunately we had the news of she fell ill she's only 38 years old and she went into hospital very quickly and came out with a golf ball sized brain tumor uh, and was given 18 months to live 13 months to live she managed to get 18 uh, which really put the business in a, a bit of a spin because she was always the face of it and all of a sudden was removed from that business straight away uh, because she went straight in to treatment and recovery um so she stepped away from the business entirely so at that point literally overnight she gave me the reins um and asked me and asked me to to make a promise that i would continue to grow this business she has uh, two young children uh, eight and ten years old a promise to to develop and grow this business to create a legacy for her and a business that her girls could grow up and into a did i want to do it and b if i did uh, it would be a future lifetime career for me within a company that, again, wasn't mine, um, but I'd helped grow to a significant level. Yeah. Um, 
and I'd taken a, a southern coat. We obviously have gone from London, hey, down to the south coast, so it's different, but uh, I had that vested interest to grow it. Um, and then two years uh, was after that, so what we just, about 18 months ago when she finally passed away, she left the business to us, um, to three of us, so there's myself, a sales director, and her brother who's involved in the, the business. But when she was on her final days, she, she again, maybe made that promise of, Look, if you are going to and you want to and you're motivated to continue to drive this business forward and do all the amazing things that it's doing and keep on doing that, I want to leave this because I know you're going to lead it and I know that you're going to build a solid foundation and something that's going to be pretty amazing for my kids. Do I want to do it? If so, it's yours. Uh, and that over that that two-year period of when she was ill gave us even more determination drive to put that business through the roof in every single way we could in, in terms of the strategy, in terms of the hard work, in terms of the marketing, in terms of the amount of miles that we done, the amount of presentations that we did, the amount of showcases that we did, the amount of vans we loaded and unloaded and got clients out free of charge to experience everything that really got the momentum that snowballed this brand and this company into, we are a leading force in events now. Um, so that was that. And then you know, she left the business to me and uh, another guy, Dan and David, so three of us are directors now. And we've really continued that momentum of pushing this business because we have such a vested motivation that's in your heart to be able to keep driving it forward, even more so because now it's, yeah, it's, it's mine. I kind of fell into that, uh, but it's something I love doing and I'll always have that uh, even in the future, if I'm not part of this business, if I've grown it again to a, to a position where I can move on and do different things, it's something that my time is accredited to, and I'm going to get that dividend from it always. So it's there for, for her kids and my children as well. Fantastic. And that's amazing. Isn't it? And I think, you know, obviously, you know, it's incredibly sad that, that that's, you know, it's happened. It was Debbie, wasn't it? Was that her name? Yeah, Debbie. Yeah. 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 yeah so incredibly sad. Um, I remember meeting her and we, we 3D scanned her kids, didn't we? When yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was interesting. Um, so, yeah, I'm incredibly sad. But the, unfortunately, these things happen in business. You know, I, mean, I appreciate it's not business, but you see where I'm going. It's, you know, it's incredibly harsh to deal with, but, but it puts the business onto a different um, path. And obviously, the path, you know, I'm starting to wrap up now a little bit because I want to just touch on you know, where we are now because obviously the team building events industry has been has taken what can only be described as a battering after battering after battering this year so you know, march you know march to whatever it was essentially you know basically your tap for income just turned off is that fair to say yeah absolutely yeah. our industry events hospitality yeah is from march lockdown it put the business into deep freeze because it was it's pretty much illegal for anyone to, to run any form of events. Um, and that wiped the entire industry out straight away. So we would go from 800, 900 events a year for 60% of the FTSE 100 companies to, to looking ahead at the growth. And our growth was amazing. And we were growing at 25% uh, was our target growth uh, because that, because it was exponential to all of a sudden the brakes are put on slammed shit how are we going to deal with this uh how does this business look now how, what's the future of everything and what do we do 
it's kind of a panic situation because you've got a big team, you've got salaries, you've got income, you've got no idea when all, all of the flow of money starts to come in. Mm. Uh, and so I'm, yeah. not, I'm not going to go too deep into those, you know, the, the ins and outs of all of that. But a key thing I'm interested in to know is, is if you look at where you are today, and obviously the events industry is still being slammed, right? But you're not. No, we're not. Well, and... And the reason for that is the foresight that you had six months ago. Would that be fair? Yeah. So it's about, for me, business is about the strategy. Sometimes you get it right. Sometimes you get it wrong, but you've always got to have a plan. Always got to have that DEFCON 3. What do we do if the shit hits the fan? What does this business look like? We'd always had that plan and that strategy in place that we could always survive for X amount of time and we always had enough there to carry us through for a year if the worst did happen and the worst did happen. Right. So um, we had the luxury. We could furlough all the staff. So I took the decision to say, okay, there's going to be no business coming in. I'm going to furlough everybody, all the other directors. They've got young kids as well. One of the other directors just had a child. And now it's me that's focused right in on the strategy of let's look at every single eventuality that could happen in this marketplace and let's make sure that we are geared up and right at the front of any opportunity that's going to raise its head above the parapet. I want my business to be there. So I've got the, the best opportunity to be able to get the biggest slice of the cake. Um, so it's fight or flight. And a lot of our compressors, a lot of our businesses just batten down the hatches, put their feet up and just let's ride the storm. Uh, we took the opposite of actually now we, we've got a, a digital strategist that said to me, Steve, this time now is a time where you want to be working on your business, not in your business, which really resonated. Um, and another phrase from another book of um, vision without execution is hallucination, that we all come up with amazing ideas, but we never have the time to put them into practice. Yeah, we all talk about a lot of amazing things that we can do, but we ever we bring them to fulfillment. Uh, and that was always up on the wall of we're going to find a way out of this. And I'm going to find a way out of this. And I said to all my employees, I'm going to find a way out of this. And we did. So we we put all of our energy into the virtual what ifs. So we converted all the experiences into virtual. That was the first job we worked on. All we had to learn fast. We couldn't afford SEO. We couldn't afford digital experts. We couldn't afford agencies. We had to learn fast. How do we do this stuff ourselves? What ranks? Why does it rank? What are the strategies? How do we do all these PPC campaigns? How do we manage the budgets? Everything for that. Fast track, super quick. Learn all of this. Um, absorbed all of the the marketing information that we had and rebranded all that ourselves. Graphic design platforms, video platforms. We can't afford to do this anymore. To pay someone else, we do all this ourselves. Uh, and we did, and we thrust every single avenue out there. So we started to peak in virtual events uh, because we were ranking number one on Google for those. So we started to get a few pieces of business that people were doing virtual team building events. Uh, and then we had that foresight of, okay, what would happen? This was March, April time. Imagine if all this stuff doesn't get better in a few. What does Christmas look like? What if people couldn't hold their Christmas parties? I wonder what would that look like? So we built blogs, we built a website, we built products geared up back then for virtual Christmas parties with no idea whether it's going to take off and it would have, it would have been such a massive waste of resource, but we took that risk. Um, and long story short, we're, we're ranking 
Google number one for most search phrases around virtual Christmas parties. And, and I'm in the most exciting and the, the scariest place I've ever been in business at the moment because literally it is like Boris's announcement on Halloween said, remember these four things, guys. Wash your hands, social distance, contact go-to events if you want to organise a virtual team building event. And I, I kid you not, since that announcement, we're getting in excess of 150 to 160 inquiries a day coming in for virtual Christmas parties. Uh, I've got phone lines ringing. If I put the phone down, I've got 15 missed calls. I've gone from having to make a whole team redundant to all of a sudden now gone from zero business to the biggest acceleration I've ever seen in my life of how do you all of a sudden, someone's dropped in, you haven't got a sales force and sales function. Hey guys, I'm gonna drop 150 inquiries coming in thick and fast every day from big organizations that are all going, we need to organize something for Christmas. How does it work? What do we do? Talk me through this. Uh, how does virtual Christmas parties, what's that all about? How does that even work? What are people gonna enjoy? loads and loads of questions loads of information that people need and servicing that level of inquiry that comes in so we've had to in a week recruit seven people about to build a sales team in a in literally a week that's fine people train those people get them to sell understand the products deal with the inquiries systems to be able to process those inquiries through to event managers to hosts and people that are going to deliver it um to, to the point of we're still having to do that. We're still having to recruit. So it, it's got absolutely crazy. And and I would challenge any business that doesn't have that resource to be able to, if someone did that, to, to we would probably generate 50, 40, 50 inquiries a month in conventional Christmas time to get 150 a day. <laughs> it's an incredible <laughs> to be in. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, well done. First of all, well, well done for having the foresight in the first place to put your balls on the line and try something slightly different, not knowing whether it was going to come off or not. Uh, uh, that's, first of all, amazing. I think the second thing is you 150 leads a day from solid SEO work, essentially. Is there any paid stuff going into that now? Zero. So 100%. So all the leads are coming from organic rankings and the consistent marketing campaigns that we're putting out daily. So we're working... Um, someone said what would you said it actually a while ago what would your business look like if you had the opportunity to rip it up and start again what changes would you make we've had the chance to do that because we have had to rip it up and start again and build back up and look at all the things that we did differently what mistakes we made what would we do systems people processes approaches styles marketing um and to be able to we've got service all of those service the inquiries and service the actual experiences so it's it's a it's a phenomenal journey, huge amount of hours because we're putting those hours back in, but we've got that motivation of we want all these people to have an amazing Christmas party. They all deserve that. And for we still continue with the daily marketing, the daily LinkedIn updates, the daily position of our position and where we are and the strategy and the plan continues because what we're not gonna do is just sit there and this is great guys, let's stop all the marketing Let's deal with all these lovely inquiries that are coming in, convert that, make all this money, not a huge amount of money because the, the margins are a lot tighter, make enough money to be able to pay ourselves again. And then after Christmas, we're a has-been. People have forgotten about us. We've done the Christmas party and they, they moved on. So the focus on the marketing now and the push 
continues every day, but now our focus is now on Q1, Q2 next year of what does the marketplace look like now? People have got vaccines in on the horizon and people might start to get back to live events and live meetings of, again, how are we gonna be the forefront of that marketplace? Whilst everybody's servicing and being reactive, we've got to continue that proactive drive. And I think that's a key point, actually, if you, if you get it right. So essentially, you get 150 leads a day from new clients who wouldn't have used, would you have used another team building company or would may never have used the team building company in the past. Now they're using them. Let's say, you know, you get a thousand new, new leads, you know, clearly more than that, but let's say you get those thousand people, you're going into Q1 and Q2, Q3, Q4 next year. That's a thousand more contacts that you didn't have. And in, in, ability to actually pivot from doing let's say let's say a thousand events last year to none this year but two or three thousand next year because of everything's happened this christmas so whilst it's all been doom and gloom for some you've managed to switch that and go guys there's a massive opportunity here focused on christmas and then pivot into next year is that fair yeah 100 percent. yeah Every every single lead that comes into this business is an opportunity and a future opportunity. And we build the right relationships and support those people now and make that right impression and continue those uh, those relationships with those clients that become accounts that will continue us to use us. Our business will probably, when it gets back to normal, uh, be 50, 60% the size that it was before with the previous growth. And we want to capitalize on that because these are every single inquiry that comes in whilst we've got so many of like, oh my God, here comes another inquiry and another inquiry. You can think of it like that, cup half empty, but actually if you see that there's golden nuggets coming out the sky here and I'm going to catch every single one and look after them because these are their acorns coming out the sky. If I look after every single one of them, I'm going to have a lot of oak trees in the future that's going to really make this business fully sustainable in the future and god we're going to capitalize on that yeah amazing absolutely amazing uh steve i know that we've um i call you steve all of a sudden like, what's all that about <laughs> paul so uh, uh we we've probably gone on a little bit longer than uh, i was anticipating um and certainly probably you were as well given that you've just said you're getting 15 phone calls for every per every time you're on the call um you've probably had a whole load more missed calls so um first of all Thank you very much for giving up your huge available. So I just want to come back on a couple of the highlights for me, if that's all right. So I think one of the first things, apprenticeships. Yeah, if you're not sure what you want to do when you leave school or college, just go do an apprenticeship and get something solid behind you. Um, outdoor ed, going into the outdoor ed stuff was about building confidence, talking to people, learning about people, learning how to motivate and inspire people when they might not have wanted to be there or when they found it really, really tough. Then moving into cold calling. Well, cold calling is cold calling. Anyone can do that for two years needs a medal. And then the next thing you were talking about is growing sales teams. So grow it one by one. And we'll just exclude what you said about seven people in a week. Um, but growing them one by one rather than rushing into that is absolutely key. Love that. Um, don't spend beyond your means talking about um, the progressive route, which has obviously come to fruition now. That fruition where, you know, you learn all those years ago that, well, if it, if you go out and buy a Range Rover, a motorbike, a boat or whatever else, you're not going to have anything for a rainy day. 
make sure you've got that rainy day fund. Um, and you've always been amazing with that. Um, uh, then there was that, the honesty, the time to leave. I thought that was great. And then you then moved into the first business with uh, Slick Dips. It was Slick Dips, wasn't it? That was right. Yeah. With the, uh, I'm trying to remember the names of it, um, which was amazing. And that journey about turning on the SEO and turning on the messaging and getting that right straight away was absolutely keen. And, and going into a market where there wasn't anyone else doing it. You know, I was doing wedding photography in the same office, doing the same SEO, but there was a million wedding photographers on the doorstep and zero dippers and it's about capitalizing on the opportunities that are available there and then you know, growing that the next sales team was with where you are now the two things that saw that exponential growth before now was the communication the messaging the branding about getting the message out about why your events were different you know that was team building then this is team building now and then obviously reinforcing that by as many face-to-face -face messages as you could possibly get to. You know, this is us, this is us, this is us, this is us. So absolutely everyone was absolutely key. And then now you've obviously pivoted that where you sort of saying, don't work on the, don't work in the business, work on it. You know, what do you need to do to strategize to put yourself in the next position? You know, you're already talking about Q1, Q2 next year with all of this pivoting with where you are now. And I think that's absolutely key. And then, you know, what would you do differently if you ripped it all up and started again? Again, we had a conversation about that not so long ago. So I think that's, that again is a huge nugget. And all of those things, whilst you've not had all your own businesses throughout that time, all of those skills have lent, learned and got you to where you are now and given you the ability to nurture and have the foresight to think where you want to get to and what's next. You know, you see what I'm saying? Does that, do you think that summarizes that right? Is that? Is yeah, that it, yeah, it does. It does. And I would say, yeah, really nicely. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it's, it's nice when you actually reflect on that journey because quite often you don't get the time to. Um, what I would wrap up and say to anybody really from a young age is in everything you do in every walk of life, not just business, Try and be different. Think and do things that people aren't doing. Even in sales, everybody's trying to bang on the same front door. Find a way to attract someone through the side door. Self-development, reading books. Um, and there's so many different concepts and ideas out there of people that have done things differently and created amazing results for it. And I'll probably just wrap up on one thing we're doing, which is, yeah, it's business motivated, but it's something that's close to my heart. So off the back of our website, and this is going to be a time consuming exercise is where we're setting up a, a section called amazing people. So in our industry at the moment, the redundancies are, are just flooding out by the thousands. There's a lot of phenomenal, incredible people that are being made redundant and there are no jobs within this industry to be able to get back into until things get back to normal. But we get a lot of business from these amazing people that work in companies within our industry that feed inquiries and leads into us and we're always working hard on the business development to, to be in front of these people and say hey guys look use us recommend us this is why you should this is who we are um we want those people to look after us now is the time that they're in need so we've set up a section of our website called amazing people which is free anybody can list their profile on this web page which has got a direct link to them to contact them and their LinkedIn profile. And has got a summary of their experience. 
So they can list that free of charge and any employer can find these people free of charge. So it's a free resource. So when, for example, a big hotel starts to retrade when events are coming back in and they want amazing salespeople that have worked in hotels, they can come onto this website, this section, amazing people, and they can find these people free of charge for the right type that they want, get in touch with them free of charge, avoid the recruitment fees, and we open up a marketplace for all of these wonderful people to be able to get back into jobs as quick as possible. So, but it's time consuming, it's gonna be time consuming, but the theory behind that is, hey guys, we're gonna look after you now, do everything we possibly can to help you get back into amazing careers because when things get back to normal, we would hope that that loyalty would be back there and you would continue to use us. We'll scratch your back now if you can scratch our back. Yeah, amazing, that's fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. I think that's really, really key. Helping those while they need it is is absolutely vital. And I just want to pick on one slightly thing that you said there about being different as well. So this comes from the person who once sent a welly through the post to someone to get his foot in the door. Is that fair? Yeah, I read that. I actually read that in a book of someone that did that. Yeah, someone we were trying to... We knew there was business there. A competition had the business uh, and we knew it. And there's no... I can send all the emails in the world um, to people. They're just going to ignore it because everybody's trying the same thing. Uh, so we wrote handwritten letters to these persons. Just give me five minutes of your time. If you don't like me, if you want to tell me to piss off, fine. No problem at all. Uh, that didn't work. So, yeah, we sent a welly in the post to say literally just five minutes. Just all I want is a foot in the door. That made someone smile. And it just said, all right, guys, you're persistent. And they gave us five minutes. Uh, and, and that resulted into yeah, a a long-term contract and a long-term relationship with a good client as well. Nice. Nice. Well, look, Paul, I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Um, it's been absolutely amazing having you on. Um, it will go live uh, soon, I'm sure. But if people want to get in contact with you, either to find out a bit more about you or to book an event or you see what you're up to now, what's the best way of getting in touch with you? Um, so LinkedIn profile, if anyone has a look on LinkedIn, Steve Perkins or go to events or Steve at go to goto events.co.uk. Um, I do make a point of anybody that gets in touch with me on LinkedIn. Uh, it might take me a little while, but I make a valid point of responding to everybody, whether they're trying to sell something or whether they're asking for advice. Uh, I will do my best to respond because I think it's only courteous and, uh, <clears throat> there's a good old phrase of, don't piss people off on the way up because you never know who you're going to need on the way down. So people are valuable. They're a valuable resource. There's a, there, there is that, that thing where I actually responded to someone on LinkedIn the other day, they were, they were a recruiter and he, and I just politely said, look, no, thanks, not interested, but you know, thanks for reaching out type approach. And he was like, oh, thank you very much. It's so nice to hear from someone. Thank you for not telling me to piss off. Blah, 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 blah. Exactly that. Like, you know, because I think when you've sold stuff, the, the worst thing is you, you, you're trying your best to sell stuff. You don't want to annoy people. You generally want to give them something you think they need. Like, you're not trying to piss them off. You just want to, you just want to help them out. But, it, you know, so when someone tries to sell you something, I don't know, you're obviously the same. You, you want to just say, yeah, thanks. But I'm not ready for that yet. But if I need you, I'll get in touch. And most people like that. Anyway, we digress. So, stay, Paul, thank you very much for your time. Uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, this was another super insight 
to Business Insider Secrets. Thank you very much for joining me. Please make sure if you've got any questions, you get in touch. Or alternatively, make sure you like, you comment, you review, whatever you can do on the platform that you're listening to us this on. And that would be absolutely amazing. Thanks very much. And we'll speak again on the next episode of Business Insider Secrets.